0: Grace to you in peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Raise your hand if you have ever heard of the Apostle Paul from the Bible. Okay, that was uh, much to uh, what I expected. Almost everyone raised their hand there. Now, it really doesn't take too long when you're beginning to learn about the Christian faith or if you're being brought up in it before you hear Paul's name used. But whether or not you know um, who he is, or even if you know a lot about him, I think it would be good for us tonight to spend some time looking at his accomplishments as a minister and his amazingly successful ministry. So for starters, Paul is the author of 13 different books in the Bible. That's roughly one half of all the books in the New Testament are written by the Apostle Paul. His writings serve as a foundational part of our Christian faith, what we believe and what we teach. And you can expect one of his books to be read at any weekend during the church year, during any year, because that is always put um, during our epistle readings for uh, for the worship service. And it doesn't stop there. Paul is considered to be one of the most influential leaders in the early Christian church. He traveled all around Europe and parts of the Middle East, founding congregations. And even if it was years after he founded a congregation, if they ran into a problem, they would reach out to Paul and ask for his help and for his guidance, which is why we have a lot of his books in the Bible. Those are his responses. Paul is also directly responsible for the conversion of thousands of people in his lifetime to Christianity. He went to crowded marketplaces, he went to temples, he went to synagogues. He would go anywhere where people would listen to him, and that they did. Crowds of people would gather around Paul and debate with him, and listen to his sermons and his teachings. And those sermons and those teachings he shared many thousands of years ago still shape and guide the faith of billions of Christians to this very day. It's happening right now, actually, as we speak. From a perspective of faith, Paul is an amazingly successful Christian, church leader, writer, and missionary, perhaps the most successful one who has ever lived. He was truly a pastor like no other, a Christian completely and totally devoted to the faith. He accomplished so many things in his life before being killed on account of his faith. You see, back in his day, other church leaders would look at the experiences they had in their ministry and use that as a way to brag about what they have done. They would talk about the hardships they endured. They would talk about the visions they received from the Lord and the other people that they brought to faith. Kind of like trying to build a a resume to make other Christians and other churches impressed with them. But Paul, the most successful one around, didn't really seem to fixate on the success of his ministry. He did not brag about the thousands of people that came to believe in Jesus because of his work. Nor did he use his birthright as a Jew, as a person who was born into Israel, to gain more authority and power. He did not wave around his authority as a church leader. Nor did he use his upright Christian righteous life to make others look up to him in a way that where he could show off to them. He didn't use any of these things to his advantage. Paul was even lucky and important enough to receive visions from God himself. Can you imagine that? And he was taken up to heaven to hear the Lord himself speak That alone is an amazing bragging right. But he didn't even use that to gain more authority over other Christians. No, out of all the things that Paul could say about himself, he said this, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, the chapter just before the one we're focusing on today, Paul talks about the things that he went through just because he was a Christian. He experienced imprisonment, lashings, countless beatings, shipwrecks, mockery. He went through so many horrible things, and he often did those things without a take-home salary or even without food or shelter. To top all of that off, Paul tells us that he pleaded with the Lord to take away what he calls a thorn in the flesh, which was a persistent problem that caused him trouble and perhaps even suffering. But the Lord did not take away this thorn in the flesh. Instead, God says this to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Does all of that sound like the usual outcome of success to you? To me, this stuff sounds like what happens when you are failing at what you're trying to do. Why would God reward such an outstanding person, such an amazing minister with so much hardship? Why would God not take away this thorn in the the flesh, this nagging problem that caused him suffering? Paul was doing everything right, He was converting people to Christianity, he was building churches. So what gives? Well, the answer we're given is that it was to keep him from becoming full of himself, to keep him from becoming prideful and puffed up in what he had done. So in other words, God gives Paul this thorn in the flesh to humble him, to remind him that he must rely on God, not his success, not his amazing ministry, because it is from God that Paul finds salvation, peace, and fulfillment, not his own accomplishments and success. Because Paul learned through the work of the Holy Spirit that success can puff us up, make us prideful, and fill us with empty pride. Success is a difficult thing to measure. Well, that's because it, really, at the end of the day, it comes down to who or what is measuring success. But what is success, and why do we care so much about it? Well, to begin, the dictionary defines success as the accomplishment of an aim or purpose. So in other words, it means that you have set out to achieve something, and then you make it happen. You make a name for yourself. You land that dream job you always wanted. You win that race you're running in. You get those good grades, or whatever else it may be. Success isn't just about money and status. It's involved in every part of our lives. Many people would say that our country itself is an example of a wildly successful nation in its relatively young life, to which I would agree. Success and the drive to achieve it is ingrained into all of us and ingrained into our culture. And throughout our lives, we face that constant pressure to become. Successful and accomplished in what we do, whether it come from others or from ourselves. And inherently, there's nothing wrong with that, though, because it makes us feel good. And God does bless us with success in the things that we do. The desire to be accomplished actually drives us to do amazing things, make up new, come with uh, new discoveries and innovations. We all want to be successful, and again, there's nothing wrong with that. But here is where success can become a huge failure. When success becomes the most important thing in our life, it becomes our God. With this mindset, the more of it that we have, the more like this God that we can become, and the more we feel like we're becoming self-sufficient and all-powerful. This applies to all kinds of success. Being the best athlete, the best student, the best employee, the best spouse, the richest person out there, or whatever else, those drives to, to go for that success can consume us. It can consume our thoughts, our prayers, our actions, our beliefs, and our attitudes. Well, put it that way, success starts to sound a whole lot like a full blown religion. But the God of success is never satisfied even trying to be a successful christian too hard can become an idol in which we become obsessed and conceited and the bigger the idol of success is in our lives the smaller the one true lord is to us because sin points all success inward to us it points to our strength our power our control We want the credit. Again, being successful is not wrong. But when it turns into the thing that we fear, love, and trust above everything else, the Lord who humbled himself to become the servant of all, the savior of the world, doesn't seem so appealing. He's not as flashy, he's not as exciting as success. By glorifying our own success and power, we in turn become the savior. We become the provider, or so we think. We fail to see that God is the one who has given us everything, our life, our faith, our families. Because, well, if we're so successful, if we're so good at what we do, then what would we need God for at that point? Especially in the times that we live in now, it can really feel like the church is failing maybe even failing miserably, maybe we may be tempted to think that God is failing. Indeed, there are a lot of issues in the church. There are pastors and priests out there who have destroyed entire congregations because of horrible, selfish misconduct. Congregations have people that gossip and slander each other, even though they are meant to be a family of faith. Choirs sing imperfect notes. Pews are filled with liars and hypocrites. And church attendance is dwindling, just to name a few. One of our natural responses to these various problems is to say that we need better pastors. We need a better evangelism committee or, or project. We need to change our worship style. We need to change our music. And in some cases, those are necessary actions to take. But our conceited, prideful, and success-obsessed, sinful nature wants to do things our way. It doesn't want to have anything to do with a church that looks like it's failing. So instead, we tell God, we could fix your church. Hand it over to us. Let us do it our way. After all, we crave success and the excitement that comes with that, not failure. But what if I told you that the church is not failing, that it's actually succeeding, that it is won. Don't take my word for it. Hear what Jesus has to say about the church. He says in verse 9 of the text, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. The church is made for failures. In fact, it's filled to the brim with them, spiritual failures, people like me, people like you. Paul even says in First Timothy chapter 1 that he is the foremost of all sinners. He's basically saying that he is the biggest failure out of everyone out there. Despite our best efforts, our successes cannot hide the fact that every person has failed spiritually. The church is full of failures. But that does not mean that the church is failing. No, actually it's quite the opposite. The church is victorious. It's actually the most successful place around. That's because the success of the church, which is our salvation, is not dependent on our actions, on our accomplishments, on our success. It rests solely on the true head of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Jesus saves the world in the most humble and unsuccessful looking way. Indeed, the world treated him like a failure and crucified him as one. But that, but that act, that love that, that, Lord, that our Lord showed us that looked like a failure was actually the biggest victory ever won because he successfully conquered sin and death for all of eternity. We know this because he victoriously rose from the grave. When Jesus descended into hell, he proclaimed victory over sin. That same victory proclamation is ours because we belong to God. We belong to his church. And because of that, we receive his victory, his grace, his power, his perfection, and his salvation in our lives. We are no longer spiritual failures because of what he has done. The church is full of people who have fallen. But that's exactly the kind of church that God has called us. That's the, that's the exact kind of people that God wants in his church. He continually forgives and um, sin and gives eternal life to all the failures all over the world who can't even run a church right. And this empowers us to be more like him, humble, servant-hearted, and not so worried about the successes of the world anymore. In fact, it makes us confident in the fact that we have been successfully saved. So what thorns in the flesh do you have? What consistent nagging problems keep you from having a more convenient, successful life? Every one of us has those problems, those things that hold us back from being more successful and comfortable. Paul responded to his problems with gladness, even to the point that he bragged about it. And that's exactly what the Holy Spirit has led you and me to do as well. Our moments of weakness and failure remind us just how much we need God. We need to be humbled. We need to rely on God's perfection and grace and love. Otherwise, our our pride will convince us that we've got it handled ourselves. It's difficult and strange to be glad in times of weakness and failure. That's just not how the world works around us. But when, in those times that when we're struggling and suffering from failure, or even in those times where we may be suffering from what looks like success, we can find hope and strength in knowing that God is there to deliver us, to save us, to make his power perfect in our weakness we can truly confess with Paul. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Amen. And may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard our hearts and minds in the one true faith.